Want to position yourself for career success? Master the fundamentals of business with HBX Core, a three-course online program developed by Harvard Business School faculty. Immerse yourself in real-world case studies as you dive into business analytics, economics for managers, and financial accounting. The three courses that Harvard Business School faculty determined were essential to becoming fluent in the languages of business. Boost your resume, grow your network, and advance your career with the HBX Core credential from HBX and Harvard Business School. To learn more, visit abouthbx.com slash howstuffworks. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from howstuffworks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Christian Sager. Robert, weird question. Are you an only child? No, I have uh, two younger sisters. So oh. I'm, the, I'm the eldest child, but I, I do have two I siblings. thought you had a sister, but you have two. Mm-hmm. They, they, they split since I last heard about them. <laughs> now there's two of them. Yeah, there are, there are two, uh, <laughs> uh, each with their own uh, you know, separate personalities. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, how about yourself? I actually have the reason why I did the split thing is I have a twin brother and sister. Oh. Uh, they're, I'm not a twin of them. Mm. They are twins. They're 10 years younger than me. Okay. Um, they were adopted. So I was 10 years old when they were adopted. And th- so I was an only child for the first 10 years of my life. Uh, well, actually, we my parents fostered a couple kids mm-hmm. before they adopted my brother and sister. And then they adopted my brother and sister. And it's been uh, now now uh, we're all adults. Okay. So so you have a, a little bit of the the only child experience. Yeah, I definitely like the first 10 years of my life. I remember adults making only child cracks. At really? Me. Yeah. Yeah. Like jokes, not teachers, but more like family friends or like aunts and uncles and stuff like that saying stuff like, oh, you better watch out. Like the, the he's going to grow up to be an only child or something like uh. that. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I've always had a different experience with that term than I guess what the stereotype is, maybe. Yeah, like I definitely remember growing, and this is not something where I'm where it was like even like my parents saying it mm-hmm. or specific teachers. Like I can't remember like anybody really pushing the only child syndrome agenda, but I yeah. feel like it was definitely out there in the culture. This idea that if there's a family and they have only one child. That child is going to be a nightmare. That child is going to be spoiled. They're going to be a brat. They're going to be, and it's, and you, you certainly see it to varying degrees in popular media. You do. And let's be honest too, as adults now, and I'm absolutely guilty of this. There are people that I meet in life and I go, Oh, they must be an only child. Yeah. It's and, such and a it, predominant narrative. Yeah. You end up summoning it even. Even if you don't logically agree with it, even if you're not, you, you don't apply much thought to it. Yeah, it, it is. It's weird. Like, uh, so, all right. I guess we should spell it out. If, uh, if people are unfamiliar with this, although from what the research said, it's pretty much common in every culture. It's not just an American thing, mm-hmm. which is something I learned for this episode. But the idea here is that only children end up being selfish and lonely. Uh, yeah. they're maladjusted and they end up being loners. Uh, and the other thing is that they're overprivileged and overly intellectual. Uh, so that's a little different. Or, or, or not not that intellectual, according to at least one variant of the myth that we'll get into. Okay. Yeah. That's a little different from what I always assumed the stereotype was, which was, 
I guess I always had it in my head that that only children were less conscious of social cues Mm -hmm. and they subsequently talked too much in Uh conversation and they usually talked a lot about themselves. They're sort of obnoxiously self-confident. Yeah. That's what I thought it was. And I guess like (laughs) after looking at the, the, um, research and how like at the beginning of every article on only child studies, they had to sort of explain, well, here's the myth Mm -hmm. and here's how we debunk it. Uh, I've been living a lie. Like my version of only child, I got to come up with a new name for these people. Uh, well, singletons. <laughs> I saw that term a lot. Oh, is that yeah. one? Okay. You call them singletons. Or maybe children. I just shouldn't generalize as much. <laughs> yeah, because that's what ultimately what it comes down to: generalizations and stereotypes regarding yeah. singletons. And I also have to add on this that uh, that my son is an only child. Yeah, right. Uh, so, so a lot of this is not only me looking back on like these ideas that were predominant. Uh, in the culture growing up, but also like how I look at my own son. And I, and I find myself, I've, I've over the past, um, you know, four years, I've had to sort of push down some of these narratives in the back of my mind saying, Oh, he's going to maybe should have, should have a second child. So he'll have someone to talk to yeah. or, Oh, you know, he's, oh, I sure hope he's not a spoiled brat because he's the only one who's getting all this attention, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so, yeah, this episode is about exploring this idea, where it came from, and looking at what the research has to tell us about not only only children in Western culture, but we're also yeah. going to get into a little bit about the, the so-called little emperors of China. Yeah, especially, um, like, what happens when an entire society is forced to have only children? What are yeah. the repercussions? Yeah, and, and indeed, how do you even study that? Uh, I would, like, before we get into this... I have hung out with your kid a number of times, and uh, I never got the sense that he's got "quote unquote" only child syndrome. So I hope nobody's telling you that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's one of those things where uh, to come back to a previous episode on the, on the Barnum effect. Yeah, you can always sort of pick and choose what aspects of a generalization you want to apply. Exactly. And so, and that's what I find myself doing. Like uh, I'll be around. Like um, when you mentioned about, oh, well, you know, maybe single children are more uh, outgoing and a little obnoxious and they talk too much. Like instantly I'm checking those, some of those things off in my head. I'm like, oh, wow, Bastion never shuts up. He talks all the time <laughs> and he has so much confidence. But yeah, he's a little, he's a little, that's the thing. Yeah. He's also he's a little shy sometimes. With, yeah, yeah. So as if, if you had said the stereotype is, oh, they're a little bit shy sometimes, then I would be like, oh, yeah, he was just shy the other day. So Right, exactly. There's difficult. a lot of different ways you could apply it to sort of like fulfill your own prophecy about exactly. what you think it means. Well, yeah, I mean, so it's interesting that you brought up to like the uh, the idea of the social pressure, because every article we read for this. So you have a son and I have no children. And I just immediately was like, wow, I had no idea how much pressure there is on parents one way or the other, mm-hmm. whether you have an only child or you have more than one child. Like you're doing something wrong and society oh, yeah. is telling you about it constantly, right? I didn't realize that. Oh yeah, I, you know, that's, I think that's something that a parent has to come to terms with pretty early, is that, Yeah. And I imagine it's similar with, with any kind of responsibility. Like, um, like with, I don't own a dog, but I know there right. are lots of voices on dog ownership. Yeah. This is the right way. No, this is the right way. This is the wrong way. If you're doing this, then you're just a complete monster. Yeah. It's similar with, uh, with children. Yeah, yeah. Oh, certainly. I mean, uh, listeners probably have heard me talk about my dogs before. I have two pit bull mixes and I've taken one of them through, uh, what is like certification behavioral training, right? Mm-hmm. And it was extreme for what I thought. And then like we, we've started taking our second pit bull to a different place for training and we realized, oh, 
there's entirely different methodologies, <laughs> just like there are with parenting. Oh, yeah. Uh, for training your dog. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it, like, one was more strict and like, you be the alpha and rah, and then like the other one is more like, you know, focus oriented and positive reinforcement. Yeah, so it seems like there's some, some common ground there. Now we mentioned earlier that we have all these different singletons, these different only children in popular media, in our stories, in our movies, oh, yeah. in our fictions, and how those kind of inform this, really, this, this kind of conflicting notion that either only children are the worst or they're the absolute best. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, it's on the spoiled brat end of the uh, the the spectrum, Veruca Salt from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory yep. instantly comes to mind. Yep. That's true. Although, all right, I'm trying to remember now. It's been a while since I've seen it. I know Charlie's grandparents hang out in bed all day, but does he have siblings? I think that he, if I'm remembering correctly, he might be only child as well. Okay. But he's you know growing up in this crowded household, and so that okay. That right there speaks more to what we're going to find out in the in the research. The Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Syndrome, yeah. which is Charlie is better adjusted in the movie or in the book because of his socioeconomic situation. Mm-hmm. And Veruca Salt is not because she's spoiled. She's spoiled because of her socioeconomic situation, right? Not yeah. necessarily because she's an only child. Although from the research, it's the other way around, it seems like. Yeah, um, in, you know, another another popular media thing that came up uh, when I was looking around is Harry Potter. Yeah, like virtually all the children, not not all of them, and you you Potter experts can uh, correct me on this. The but Weasleys certainly aren't. The Weasleys are, are certainly not only children, but a lot of the the characters are both yeah. the really awful villainous ones, yeah. um, but also the the heroes, the, uh, Harry himself. So we see this conflicting idea, and and I wonder to what extent is this. Yeah, we're echoing these ideas and expectations of only children, but maybe there's this in creating a narrative. Yeah. It's easier to not figure out what their sibling relationships are, or there's like this desire from those of us who are not only children to look back and have either, you know, have all the positives or the negatives of being a child and having these relationships with parents, have it all focused on you. Well, like any good myth, as we've talked about on the show before, it seems that the only child syndrome myth has spawned an archetype. And I imagine that there's been plenty of things that have been written in the last hundred years, but probably even further back than that. Because this, like, as we'll find out, this is a cultural idea that has deep roots. And I think that, you know, it it seems that these uh, writers are maybe subconsciously adding that trope in. Whether yeah. they know it or not. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that, that sounds reasonable. Who else we got? You, on the list, you've got, uh, of course, D- Damien from The Omen. Yeah. <laughs> I, if only Damien's parents had just had another kid. Yeah, <laughs> they could have fixed it, right? That's the, the thinking. Yeah. I feel like a lot of horror movie characters, Jason Voorhees, Norman yeah. Bates, I think. And again, I wonder how much of that is like just an expression of how little thought goes into the character development of a monstrous uh, human character where they say like, oh, he, mm-hmm. and he had a mixed up thing with his mom or uh, and his mom right. was a witch or something. And then someone might ask, well, what about his siblings? I, I haven't got time for that. Let's we've got blood effects to, to Have pan you out watched here. Bates Motel at all. I haven't, but I understand they introduce a sibling yeah. in that show. Yeah, I I only watched a little bit of the first season, but I'm pretty sure there's a like half brother or something okay. like that in there. Yeah. yeah, that that matches up with with what I was seeing in in the research. But apparently, in the in the original 
we get the sense that he's probably that an only sense. child. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a couple stats that I want to run through before we dive into more on only children, sort of setting us up for that, like, what we were talking about regarding, like, parents and expectations, at least here in the United States. According to a New York Times piece that we referenced, a very, like, deep dive into the only child syndrome philosophy, one in five American families has just one child. So that's far less than I would have thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, And according to a 2010 Time Magazine article, the U.S. Department of Agriculture reports that in the U.S., get this, each child costs their parents around $286,050 before college on average. You know, I don't have kids, so I hear that and I go, wah, like, that's a lot. No, I hear that and go, wah. Yeah, but you're probably uh, aware of it more over time, right? Like, educational costs, food, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly, it's it's like a daily reality of having a kid. But what I immediately think is like, how does anybody afford (laughs) to have more than one child? Yeah. You know, like, uh, I have friends who have, like, three, four kids. And I'm like, how are you doing that? Like, who's paying the bills? Or are you just horribly in debt? You know? Well, you know, it's, it's it, part of the whole situation, too, is you we live in this age where people are making choices about their family structure yeah. and their size of their family, you know, that, thanks to um, thanks to the use of con- contraceptives, of course. And then, of yeah. course, other modes of uh, of building a family, such as adoption, uh, you know, you make distinct choices and what that n- the number of children is going to be. Yeah. Whereas, you know, based on the research I was looking at here, the like the older model pretty much everywhere was you just had kids until you could not have them anymore. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it wasn't a choice of like, how many how many children do you think you'll have? No, it's it's just until they stop coming out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, one of the things that's been noticed is that in modern society, single child families spike when there's economic downturns. Like, for instance, that Time article was written uh, during the recession in 2010. Uh-huh. So they're seeing a big spike in people who are saying, like, that's it. Like, just one kid is enough for us. Um, and the reasons why parents usually have a second child, this was when I really got into that uh social pressure mm-hmm. thing that I, I wasn't aware of. So usually they say it's for their first child. So the first child won't be lonely, but other parents say they do it because they love their first child so much. They want to experience that love all over again. They want the, the full experience. And I've heard that from some of my friends. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that every day too, because it's, there'll be this thing that you love in your current relationship with your child and you know, that's going to go away at some point. And then, you know, who's going to, you know, who's going to, who's going to snuggle? Who's right. going to, you know, who's going to play, uh, uh, Legos with you? Exactly. You know, and you, you're like, oh, well, I've got to have that again. I guess the second child is the right choice. And then, of course, some religions advocate against birth control. So you end up with a lot more kids. Like my friends back in Boston who are Catholic, mm-hmm. they come from families where they've got like eight, ten siblings or something like that because that's just kind of the norm. Yeah. Um, But then there's this one from Science Daily that I read. Now, check this out. Some people say they have only one kid to prevent carbon pollution. I've never heard that before. But there's a 2008 study in global environmental change that found that an American can prevent 20 times more carbon pollution by having one fewer child than they can by adapting eco-friendly habits for the rest of their life. Well, that's not, that to me, I don't know. I, I can't speak for everybody. That does sound like a wonderful uh, fact to pull out in 
in retrospect. I guess, yeah. It's it seems a bit extreme yeah. of a lifestyle choice, but I mean, you it's know, a, it's a you can certainly put it on the the, the pro list if you're doing pros and cons. Sure, right. I can say like now I can say oh that's why I don't have kids. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm say, uh, it's my carbon footprint. Yeah, it, it's for the mo- my read on it, and I ev- the thing is, of course, everybody's different. Everyone have, walks into the the situation with the same with it with the different with different ideas and different expectations. But I feel like there's so many different pressures. Some that you're you're aware of, and some that are just kind of in the ether of your culture, that are informing your decision. That it's that it's difficult to to nail it down to just one thing, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, just looking at all these different reasons, you know, I I imagine that we have listeners out there right now who are screaming at their podcasts saying, "Wait, wait, wait! No, my reason is this." You know, yeah. there's got to be an infinity of reasons, but. We try to make sense of it, right? In yeah. these little packages. Well, it's a, this is, well, one thing that comes up with me a lot is, um, so my son is, uh, is adopted from China. And so people will say, oh, why did you decide to adopt a child from China? And like the answer to that question is not like a, just a succinct, oh, well, yeah, it's reason A, B, and C. Like yeah. the, the reasons change, the, the, it's a learning experience as you go through that, that process. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I imagine this is the same with, uh, with bio babies and other forms of, yeah. of acquiring children, building families, et cetera, is that you may go into it with one idea, but those ideas are going to evolve. And even after you've made your decision, you're going to have new information that's coloring why you made that decision. So yeah, it's difficult to boil it all down. With something as majorly complex as being a parent. You yeah. Know, of course, there's going to be multiple reasons. Um, in 2010, Pew, who does, they're, they're the masters of surveys. Yeah. Right? We're always citing them on this show. They did a survey on American motherhood. And 46% of the adults that they interviewed said that two children was the ideal number of children for a home, which struck me as interesting because I, I guess it, it brings us back to the idea of like the atomic family. Yeah. Right? Um, it's what, 1.5 or is it 2.5? Uh, one point. Yeah, I think it is 1.5. Yeah. Which always gives me like a, a fallout, uh, yeah. <laughs> a franchise vision of like the mutated child with, well, like, that was you arms. and me too, because we grew up during the Cold War, right? Mm-hmm. So that, of course, made sense. Uh, it's probably different now, but get this, only 3% of the people in the survey said that one child was ideal and only 3% said that zero children were ideal. Huh. So that strikes me as odd. And it definitely doesn't play out when you think of, okay, so the New York Times piece said there's one in five families just have one child. But 3% say one child is ideal. Those numbers don't line up. Huh, yeah. All right, so let's get into the the Western idea of the the spoiled brat, the 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 only child that is also a problem child. Yeah, it's it's fascinating when we start breaking this down to say where does this idea really come from? Because certainly, as we discussed in the old days, you just always choice wasn't really an option. You just had as many children as was going to happen for the most part. Yeah. So where does this idea that the choice to have an only child is a bad idea? Turns out it's one person. Yeah. So we can we can blame it all on one. Well, no, we can't blame it all on one guy. But one we can guy, attribute a lot of yeah. it to this one guy. And he yeah. sort of had a following. Mm-hmm. And his name was Granville Stanley Hall. Yeah, this was uh, more than a century ago. He is. And he's. He's. He was a rather big deal. He established one of the first American psychology research labs, and he was uh, a leader of the uh, uh, of the child study movement. Yeah, this is uh, yet again like another like historical look at psychology's early days. It's yeah. 
we did a lot of things the wrong way <laughs> when psychology is a mm-hmm. discipline. We're Without any real on. methodology. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's the problem here. So, so Granville Stanley Hall, he actually established a network of study groups around America that were called Hall Clubs. Oh, that sounds fun. Sounds fun, yeah. We got Hall Club on Tuesday. Uh, and it was where his teachings about only children were spread. Uh, now keep in mind, Hall's research practices were nothing like ours are today. So this, for instance, if he were to publish one of these things as a paper, it wouldn't go through peer review. Right. It would not meet the criteria that we would expect it to. Now, in particular, his 1896 study came out uh, titled A Study of Peculiar and Exceptional Children, which sounds like a delightful uh, young adult title. Yeah, today. it sounds like a Tim... Um, if you know, like that Tim Burton movie. They yeah. Out, yeah. Uh, so in this work, he profiled a number of only child misfits and without any credible research practices in place. Uh, he, one of the quotes from it is, quote, being an only child is a disease in itself. <laughs> uh, and he's apparently, apparently he was drawing in like a lot of, uh, this was, this was a time when, you know, there's a lot of movement into cities and yeah. the, uh, the, 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 uh, the country lifestyle was sort of fading away and he was very nostalgic about that and very opposed yeah. to change and urbanization. And, uh, but, but here's the thing, this, this idea that, the only child is a disease in itself. It penetrated the mainstream. It made oh, yeah. it. It made the headlines. This is one of those ex- examples where it 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 made its way into the the larger culture, into the atmosphere of culture, and subsequent attempts to discredit Stanley's work in the decades to follow, like none of none of these uh, discrediting studies uh, exploded quite as well as his did, and his remained the dominant narrative, and to a certain extent remains the dominant narrative. Despite all these studies that have come out and yeah. and and continue to continue to get to discussed and you know in major podcasts that get published in major publications to say actually there's nothing to back this up. Yeah, in fact, we're going to look at it later. But there were studies from 1925 until the 80s that were constantly saying this wasn't true, and none of them could break through the archetype. It was just too prevalent. Yeah. Um, but and for me, like I go, surely it can't all be this one guy. Uh, but it it seems like according. So I looked around. Uh, there's a California State University at Dominguez Hills researcher named Adrienne Mansillis, and she says, yeah, it's totally cross cultural. It's everywhere. It's from Estonia to Brazil, and and why? Well, think about it. It's exactly what you tied it back to, right? When you think about people needing bigger families to farm their land or to to work as part of the family mm-hmm. unit. And care for the uh, the parents as they get older. Exactly, yeah, that's a big part of it too. And then industrialization threatens that. Mm-hmm. So I can absolutely see why that became the the prevalent narrative. In fact, uh, one of the lead researchers that we're going to talk about later in the episode said that the only reasons why families used to stop at one child was due to death, divorce, or medical reasons, like they physically couldn't have children. Yeah, basically act of God. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so why don't we take a quick break, and then we're going to turn our sights over to China and its one-child policy. All right, we're back. All right, so just to to refresh on the one-child policy. um, So 
China's population increased by 400 million people between 1949 and 1976. As such, following the death of Mao Zedong, uh, the People's Republic of China instituted its one-child policy in uh, the late 1970s in order to ensure that, quote, the fruits of economic growth are not devoured by population growth. Population was swelling, urban centers especially, and this is something that's virtually never stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it seemed like, in a, in a way, a reasonable solution, right? You just ask everyone to, or ask, you tell everyone to have only one child, <laughs> only and it'll China keep the asking. numbers. Yeah. yeah. So um, this became the policy, the one-child policy. And it uh, it ended in, two, in 2015 following a relaxation of the rules in previous years. So it didn't apply to ethnic minorities. And, of course, there are several uh, ethnic, numerous ethnic yeah. minorities in the People's Republic of China. And also, I believe in recent years, one child parents, parents who were themselves singletons, were permitted to have two, etc. Right. Yeah, there were exceptions. Uh, and the way that this worked was from 1979 onward, it, it was enforced, especially in urban areas, mainly by using economic incentives, mm-hmm. right? So there were benefits to your family if you, if you stayed with the only child policy. In 2011, Chinese officials actually cited data, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, but this is what came from the government, and it said that this policy had prevented 400 million births. So, you know, there is mm-hmm. some, I, mean, I guess if you look at it in a very logical manner, you can say, okay, well, those are 400 million less mouths to feed. And of course it, it plays into the, uh, what was the quote up there? The fruits of economic growth are not devoured by population yeah. growth. Okay. And I've seen that stat, uh, as low as 250 million, but still okay. that's 250 million people. Yeah. So yeah. At, a, at a very like basic mathematical level, you can say, all right, well, that that was successful. Yeah. Um, so obviously we, we could devote an entire episode to the, the fallout of China's one child policy. The policy was was always controversial and uh, you can find arguments for it, against it. I mean, really, there are different different pros and cons that line up on both sides, depending on who you talk to. Yeah. Uh, Fertility certainly declined more rapidly than it otherwise would have. We already talked about the stats, 250 to 400 million um, averted births. But uh, and it also resulted in uh, an age demographic divide that may have contributed to one quarter of its sizable economic growth. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, it meant a skewed sex ratio. Uh, you had you ended up having um, uh, more more boys than girls. And it means that there is an aging population with fewer young people to care for them. There were certainly there was certainly negative fallout, as one might expect of any large scale social policy. There were fines there were punishments. There are accounts of uh, of, quote unquote, forced abortions. And uh, all of this made the policy a source of public uh, discontent. Um, there are all additional, um, you know, accounts of uh, female infanticide, right. of abandonment, uh, etc. Those are the horror stories that I think we hear over here the most often, which yeah. is like uh, a, some poor young woman has had a second child. What does she do? She has to kill her own child because of this law. That's the like yeah. the horror story version of it. Yeah, I mean, and it, it kind of goes back to our episode on, on uh, wicked problems, right? Because yeah, yeah. when you look at any kind of attempt to change something, to alter some sort of problem in society, um, such as population woes, like any like large scale solution, it's going to spiral off additional problems. Yeah, uh, and I'm yeah, not, absolutely. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to come off as an apologist for for the uh, the one child policy here, but it. Um, 
I guess I'm just trying to see it at, at, at different levels. Like you can certainly see it at the individual level, but then like trying to understand it is this uh, macro response to perceived threats. Yeah, it's certainly like an incredibly complex thing. And, and as we're going to discover from the research that's been done in the last couple of years, it's not as simple as just treating a community as large as China's population as like a single organism where you just prescribe like right. one a uh, policy that'll fix this whole thing, right? Right. At any rate, though, the ultimate outcome here was that you had more Chinese families centered around an only child. And here's where we see the so-called little emperor syndrome, particularly Chinese version of the only child syndrome. And it's based on the idea that the one child policy resulted in an entire generation of singletons, uh, children doted on by parents and grandparents and pampered by resources that might have typically gone to multiple children. They, they lacked siblings and therefore they lacked proper socialization. This is big, right? The two is as well, right? That they're, mm. they're going to be in a house. They're only dealing with a bunch of, uh, grownups that uh, are just pampering to their every need. <laughs> then they uh, and they also, uh, the idea here is that they uh, lack not only siblings, but also cousins. Uh, and this is going to eventually spiral out into aunts and uncles. Um, and, and this becomes a, like a major, uh, this becomes an important idea. Like even here at How Stuff Works, there was a, there's a, there's a Chinese version of HowStuffWorks.com. And I remember years ago when they were talking about like the, the advantage, this was like previous owners of the, uh, the company. Mm-hmm. They were saying, oh, well, you know, this is big because since you have this situation where there's a, an only child with all these resources going to them, that means there's more educational money to be made off of them. There's more, you know, there's, there's more of this focused attention because you have kind of like all your eggs in one basket or something. Wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I've worked here for three years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's out there. I can't remember the name of the website offhand, but okay. if you look, if you look for so it, they just take it. the content from how stuff works and translate it into Chinese. They did at the time. Yeah. I don't, I don't know to what extent it's still cultivated. If huh. like new content is being translated, but okay. I know there, there, there are articles that I wrote for how stuff works years and years ago that have like Mandarin translations on this, Interesting. this website. Okay. And, but it's not just over here looking in the notion of these little emperors gained a, a lot of support in Chinese media. Chinese, China daily, uh, the popular publication there even dubbed the demographic as quote, the spoiled generation. <laughs> But there was largely no empirical evidence for this notion. So was it, you have to ask, is it, was, was this, is this any different than any situation where an older generation judges the younger, you know, the greatest generation versus the baby boomers versus Gen X versus the millennials versus whatever we're calling the, the next group of young people that we don't understand and think are horrible and destined to ruin the world. Right. Yeah. Um, this reminds me of my time when I was working in academia. This, there was a lot of consternation about quote unquote millennials. Like, yeah. we don't understand them. What do we do? How do we, how do we teach them? And, uh, the university that I worked at had an expert who'd done a lot of millennial studies come in, come and give a huge presentation to like almost all the faculty of the university. And they're basically like all the stereotypes that you know are wrong. Mm-hmm. There are, there is data that shows that there are things about this generation that we know that we can use toward uh, coming up with strategies for teaching plans or right. something like that. Right. But it was like none of the stereotypes that people think of when they say millennials. Yeah. It's not a situation where you can imagine like two scientists dissecting a millennial and saying like, Oh, this is where the millennials, uh, digestive juices are. So, you know, it's like <laughs> right. they're, they're people and there's a, there's a vast, there, there's a lot of difference in personality and background. Yeah. And the same can be said of singletons in, in any culture. Like, yeah. 
there you're going to see a lot of different personality types. However, there are a few things we can say about personality um, here. For instance, there's a lot of evidence to support the idea that birth order plays a big role in the manifestation of indi- individual personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the, the 1998 p- uh, paper, Birth Order Effects on Personality and Achievement Within Families, argues that, quote, across four diverse data sets, firstborns were nominated as most achieving and most conscientious. Laterborns were nominated uh, as most rebellious, liberal, and agreeable. So we're talking about statistical generalities here. But it does raise the, raise the question, would, would this mean that um, the vast social experiment of, of China's one-child policy may have helped to exclude certain personality types from manifesting? Hmm. That is interesting, especially to think of, like, as that generation is now coming into power. Right. Huh. So this is one of those areas where we don't have a lot of study to, to look yeah. to. And it's kind of it's difficult to study because on one hand, so many of these studies are dealing with Western uh, one child situations. Yeah. And that's a little bit different from the People's Republic of China, where we have essentially a one child family culture that's been built out of this. Again, mm-hmm. taking into account ethnic minorities and, and other circumstances uh, that are in play. But it be, makes it difficult to have proper control groups for any kind of study. Yeah, that's certainly true. I guess like, so I'm just like immediately popping back to my subjective experience of living in China in uh-huh. the nineties and like trying to imagine, like I was in Beijing and trying to imagine having a family with more than one child in the homes mm-hmm. the, like that were, that were common is it, just like, oh, it would be next to impossible again, like as an economic uh, disadvantage, like thinking, mm-hmm. comparing it to the American thing where I was saying earlier about how much money it costs to have like just one child in the United States. And then like just thinking about like the, the space considerations in, oh, yeah. in Beijing, stuff like that. Yeah, indeed. Now the, the one study that we do have that gets into this, uh, the one that uh, certainly um, I was able to come across is a 2013 study. Uh, lead author is uh, Lisa Cameron of Monash University in Melbourne, Australia, and she had co-authors uh, that uh, were also with the Australian National uh, University and the University of Melbourne. And they attempted to figure out to what degree the one-shot policy impacted the personalities of China's children. And uh, again, this is like the pretty much the only study out there. So yeah. take that into consideration. We don't have a lot to compare this to. So they, what they did is they used games from experimental economics to measure altruism, competitiveness, and other traits in individuals born just before and just after the one-child policy. After controlling for gender, education, and other factors, these researchers found that those who became only children because of the one-child policy were supposedly less trusting, less trustworthy, less conscientious, and more risk-adverse. Yeah, so this is interesting to me that these researchers chose economic-based games for their measurement system Mm -hmm. when they're looking for social and personality results. The implication here is that the economics and the sociology are intertwined, right? That they have to be connected somehow, hence socioeconomics. But... But you know what I'm saying? It's that, like, I would imagine that they would give them a different kind of personality test. Uh, yeah, one of the criticisms that, that has come up with this is that it, this is kind of a limiting way to mm-hmm. look at them and try to analyze and understand, you know, whole generations of people. Sure. Um, 
the, the study does, they do, they did seem rather interested in the economic output here. Uh, the, the idea being that this would also mean that these individuals would be, uh, would be, uh, less likely to engage in risky occupations or go into business for themselves and that it would impact like the entrepreneurial, uh, spirit yeah. of Chinese people. Uh, again, you're kind of painting with a broad brush here. Yeah, and but. you could also, you know, whatever, like in any generalizable way, like uh, say that there are multiple reasons for why they may be less entrepreneurial. Like maybe it's because of, uh, you know, political philosophy. Yeah. Now, when you start looking at the these findings and how people reacted to it, you'll find that, that some were, would praise it and say, well, this is a great starting point. Uh, and others would say, you know, it's just this is a, an incomplete attempt to understand the influence of confounding factors in Chinese society. Because, um, again, how do you find a control group when you study the, the nature of singletons in what is, you know, essentially a one-child society? Right, yeah. Uh, other critics argue that age differences may have skewed subjects' decisions in the economic games. Yeah, I found that there were some experts that chimed in on this analysis and they just basically said, look, this requires more complex research. Yeah, it's, it's such a difficult topic to just nail down with one study. Uh, it needs more research and it's far from complete. They also said that age differences could have yeah. skewed the decisions that were made in these economic games, too. So that, you know, that could have been a factor. Yeah. Now, specifically on that, if, just to give a little more background, Cameron and company looked at 421 subjects born in 75, 78, 80, and 83. Mm-hmm. So Definitely uh, our generation. Yeah. Plus, you know, if we're to accept these findings, we have to consider that the singletons lived up to their bad reputation, right? And perhaps right. to bad expectations. So we can disc- can we discount the degree to which uh, spoiled brat and little emperor notions uh stigmatize and kind of code children that, you know, we have to remember that labels and expectations are powerful things. Mm -hmm. So how much of it is, oh, well, they're going to be little emperors and you keep telling them this. I would be very interested to hear from any single uh, child, any singleton listeners out there. Like, did you find that narrative influencing the way you behaved or, you you know, uh, there's so many factors in what, what builds the personality of a child. Self-fulfilling after a while, if you're told so many times, well, the reason why you act like this is because you're an only child. Then you start thinking to yourself, oh, I guess it's okay for me to be whatever the stereotype is, a loner or misanthrope or something. Yeah. I'm both of those things and I have brother and sister. Yeah. (laughs) But it, uh, it, you know, I do agree with with critics saying that more study is needed here, though, yeah. because it, it it's such a singular situation. It's like so much of these other studies we're looking at, they're dealing with generally they're dealing with Western uh, families where there is one child by choice, and certainly yeah. in China we're dealing with a large scale situation where there is one child due to government mandate. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's its own thing. Yeah. I also wonder too, like in the sense that we were talking about earlier, that the fear moving from like an agricultural society to an industrial society in the United States probably influenced the stereotype. What other like major, um, cultural shifts in China that we as Westerners are totally unaware of, mm-hmm. uh, maybe influencing these stereotypes? Indeed. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to look at uh, what the science, most of it Western science, has to say about single children. Okay, so we're back. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty here. What? 
does the science say? I mentioned earlier, there were studies from 1925 mm-hmm. until now that have basically said this is a myth, right? That the only t- child syndrome is not real. Right. So let's go through some of them, at least, and, and spell it out. Yeah, because ultimately it's kind of the situation where every few years there's a new study that says that the, the stereotype is complete BS. Yeah. And there'll be data to back that up. And it's, and then it'll be, there'll be, uh, individuals in the media who will write about it. And it's just to what degree does this actually break through and change the cultural perception? Right. It doesn't really penetrate the consciousness. Yeah. yeah that's sure. Generally speaking, though, it seems like universally uh, across all these studies, there are no true negatives to being an only child. Uh, so you'll, you'll find some studies that present data to support negative attributes, but for the most part, you don't. So there's a, we're going to cover just some of the, the big ones, some of the more recent ones, uh, generally. But, uh, in 2000, there's a 2010 study, University of California. They found that having more siblings means, uh, less chance of divorce as an adult. So you could, you could say, all right, here's one study that you can interpret as saying, the like the negative being that if you're an only child, you're more likely you're to more likely to get divorced. Divorce, okay. Yeah. There's a 2012 study from the University of Gothenburg, and they found that children who grow up without siblings have a more than 50 percent higher risk of being overweight or obese than children with siblings. And this uh, was gleaned from a study of uh, 12,700 children in eight European countries. This is like the the last possible stereotype that I would think of regarding only children. It well, never have even. Well, there was in Willy Wonka, wasn't there? The oh was, yeah, yeah. Uh, I assume. Glute? Yeah, was he an only child? I can't remember. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, and again, I. So, if you want to pull from that study and use that to prop up the idea that that only children are gonna are more likely to be overweight, they're just gonna eat all the candy. Apparently, yeah. Somebody needs to do. We just passed Halloween. Somebody needs to do a study. <laughs> How much candy do only children eat on Halloween? Yeah, I, I imagine though the reality is you're going to find only children yeah. that are skinny, only children that are overweight. Exactly, going to run yeah. the gamut. Yeah. Now uh, there's a 2013 um, New York Times article by Lorraine Sandler that uh, is really good on the on the topic. We'll have to include a link to it, mm-hmm. but she summarized the scenario as follows. Quote, consider the data. In hundreds of studies during the past decades exploring 16 character traits, including leadership, maturity, extroversion, social participation, popularity, generosity, cooperativeness, flexibility, emotional stability, contentment, only children scored just as well as children with siblings. And endless research shows that only children are, in fact, no more self-involved than anyone else. It turns out brutal sibling rivalry <laughs> isn't necessary to beat the ego out of us. Peers and classmates do the job. And this, yeah. is, and this is another thing that, that, that comes up, right? Like, it's not like you're going to have an only child. I mean, some only children are probably going to grow up in, in scenarios where there are fewer children in their midst. Yeah. But other kids are going to, they're playing with kids in the neighborhood. They're playing. Yeah. They're maybe they have uh, cousins. Think they of are, all the They're going to pre-K in school. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one psychotherapist told Sandler in that piece that only children actually have strong primary relationships but they're with themselves instead mm. of with siblings. And that that tends to provide better armor against actual loneliness. So they're better at being alone. They're not lonely. Okay. That's yeah, an interesting. Yeah, like they, they know how to en- engage with, with personal time mm. a little mm-hmm. better maybe than someone who constantly has another playmate around. Yeah. Uh, of course, I know 
having had a sibling, playmate is rather uh, a rather generous right. term. I know. Without somebody to argue with. All the time. <laughs> now, uh, another uh, question that comes up are, are, you know, obviously, are they lonelier then? Um, We've uh, discussed that a little bit already, but uh, Tony uh, Falbo at the University of Texas, who has studied only children syndrome, suppose, you know, that's the the term that's thrown out, only child syndrome. She studied it quite a bit and looked into it and determined solitude is not synonymous with loneliness. And indeed, it often strengthens strengthens character. Yeah, I think we could probably call Tony Falbo the uh, MVP of only child studies. Uh, She's been involved in this stuff since the 1970s, and she's just all over every single article that I read on the topic. Uh, she And she's done studies in both the U.S. and China, it should be noticed. She's studied tens of thousands of subjects in her time. Uh, after examining hundreds of studies that were done on only children from 1925 until the 1980s, Falbo and her colleague Denise Pollitt found that only children have, quote, demonstrably higher intelligence and actually have more self-esteem than uh, children with siblings. Then they did this. They performed a second review of 200 personality studies, and they found that the personalities of only children were totally indistinguishable from their peers that had siblings. Uh, so, I mean, she's really, like, reviewed everything that's ever been done here. Yeah, and, and certainly worked to... Um, to, to uh to dispel. Cast, dispel some of the previous um, studies that were out there, including some from the 1970s that claimed that only children scored lower on intelligence tests. But it turns out these findings turned out to be skewed by imbalances in socioeconomic and uh, one versus two parent household scaling. Yeah. So, again, it comes down to uh, what 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 are you judging here? What are you looking at? Are you looking at just. Uh, you know, only child versus multi-sibling households, yeah. and are you taking into account all the various other reasons, socioeconomic and otherwise, yeah. that influence the personality of an individual? Um, Sandler, who wrote that New York Times piece, she also cited a sociologist named Judith Blake as finding the precocious, quote, qualities of only children come from the parents being able to devote more time, money and attention to these children instead of having to divide them up among other children. So the stereotype may come from the fact that only children are often raised in, quote, richer verbal environments. And Mm -hmm. what this means is they're sharing their meals and other activities with more adults, right, rather than, like, they're not at the kiddie table. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, And this subsequently leads to higher SAT scores and better self-esteem. So it seems like all the research is saying the exact opposite about only children. Yeah, there's a, a quote that I came across, and this is from University of Texas researcher Dr. Harold D. Grotevant. And he said, uh, quote, whether a child is an only child doesn't matter as much as the kind of relationships in the family. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so again, you can't boil it down to just did they, is there another child in the house? There, all these other relationships are having just as much, if not more impact. So here are some other, uh, key findings from, uh, Falbo's, uh, work in the 1980s. Uh, she found that socioeconomic status of the family, as well as the presence of both parents in the home is a, is likely a far more important factor. Yeah, that just seems like a no-brainer to yeah. me, like th- that we would look at that far more than how many siblings you have. Yeah, indeed. Uh, also, she found that uh, only children are as popular with their peers as children and as adults as uh, anybody else. So mm-hmm. that's the, the whole like loner or antisocial thing doesn't hold water. And uh, also an, an Ohio State survey of more than 13,000 children backed this up and found that only children had as many friends as anyone else. 
Uh, so she also found that only children are equally satisfied and happy. Mm. Uh, health and mental health are the same. Only children scored higher in intelligence tests than non-only child children. And this is comparable uh, socioeconomic level and family situations. Yeah, I uh, found just a small bit of research tied into that. A guy named Dr. John G. Claudi found that the only children performed better on cognitive skill tests than children from uh, families with two or more child. Yeah. And, you know, I can't help but think about homework in this scenario. I just listened to an, a really excellent uh, ideas uh, episode about homework bans. Uh-huh. And filled me with lots of anxiety about coming homework uh, for my child. But but yeah, they're talking about all the homework parents end up having to help one child with. Mm -hmm. And then if it's two, I mean, something's got to give. Something's going to fall through the the Probably they'll just help each other. That's why you had the second one, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Falbo also found that, um, uh, points out that only children have uh, higher academic aspirations. They reach higher levels of education and attain higher occupational prestige. Only children start dating at the same age as children with siblings. However, only children have a slightly less active social life overall, dating somewhat less frequently. Hmm. So, you know, in all this, too, of course, we're also even statistics uh, back all this up. I mean, we're still talking about generalities. There are going to be plenty of examples that buck the trend on both sides. Now, interestingly uh, enough, in Falbo's work during the uh, 1980s, uh, she predicted that as more families chose to have only children, uh, attitudes towards both parents and child would change. So there'd be less of this stigma against having just one child, and there'd be less of this uh, this this attitude and this expectation of of say spoiled behavior or um, or anti-socialization in the only child. Yeah, Sandler, who wrote the piece. Uh, her own research indicates that only children experience more intense emotional family lives where the love is more concentrated, is how she put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, well, while that can be enriching, it can also be suffocating. So she interviewed a lot of adult only children. Uh-huh. She found that they told her that they wanted to have more than one kid, specifically because the intensity of being in that like concentrated love scenario yeah. as a kid was too much for them. Huh. Um, and there's also data she cites from the National Alliance for Caregiving that shows that the closest living sibling, we brought this up earlier, mm-hmm. is usually the one who's responsible for elderly caregiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and only children reported to Sandler that this was the number one issue that they felt strongest about regarding their sibling status, like how many siblings they had, what their relationships with their sibling was. It came down to... Who's going to take care of mom and dad in their old age? Yeah. So that's a big factor as well. And then Time Magazine spoke to psychologist Carl Pickard, who wrote the book The Future of Your Only Child. And he did this after four decades of experience as a, you know, therapist. He said, yeah, they're indulged and they are protected by their parents, but only children also are given more nurturing to develop themselves. And he clarifies that this isn't the same thing as being selfish. Now, I've got a personal example here. And maybe you you experience this too, okay? As a writer, I find that I am often guilty, although I really try not to be, of self-comparing uh, to the success of other writers. Oh, yeah. Uh, and for instance, I think to myself, how did somebody like Zadie Smith sell a novel when they're 
only 22 years old. And that's not me saying Zadie Smith is a bad writer. That's me going, how did she have the acumen at age 22 (laughs) to be able to do that? And as I've gotten older, I realized, well, it's because I didn't necessarily have the nurturing that would lead to developing skills as quickly as maybe she did, right? Uh, and while Zadie Smith was hammering out novels, I was still trying to figure out who I was at age 22. Uh, by the way, she's not an only child. She has a lot of siblings, so mm-hmm. she's, she's not an example of like an only child. But I guess when you look at it from an only child's perspective, they may succeed earlier, but they're, they're experiencing this intense pressure from both their parents and themselves to uh-huh. succeed. So that's interesting to think about, too, just from, like, an adult perspective looking back, right, is that there's sort of like a toolbox, and you're given a certain amount of tools to work with in that toolbox. Yeah. Uh, and though you have to use those as you're getting older to sort of figure out who you are, what your skills are, what you want to do with your life. Uh, and not everybody, like, uses the tools in the same way. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I can certainly see that where you would have the parental expectations of, hey, there's no plan B, there's no middle child, right? You, there's no room for you to be the um, the screw up here. You've got to you got to be the success story. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a pressure that people feel, or then that like they put it on themselves yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so you know, to close out here, I think first of all, I would love to hear from our listeners who are only children. Uh, find out what their experience are, how much uh, this gels with your personal experience or not, the research or the stereotype per se. Um, and I'd also like to point out Sandler also says most people say that they have their first child for themselves and the second to benefit their first. But if children aren't inherently worse off without siblings, as has been proven through these studies, who is best served by that kind of thinking? Yeah. So that's worth questioning as well. Um, it's probably not the parents. They're probably not best served, right? Uh, sociologist Hans Peter Kohler, who's at the University of Pennsylvania, he analyzed 35,000 Danish twins. Who knew there were that many Danish <laughs> twins? And he found that women with one child said that they were more satisfied with their lives than either women with no children or women with more than one. So that's an interesting point of comparison, too. He's like, I'm assuming he's looking at twins as a control group, right? Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> finds that the, despite what we heard earlier from that Pew study, that the self-reporting in America, at least, says that, well, two seems to be the ideal number of children. These women were reporting, actually, I was most satisfied when I only had one. Uh, regardless, according to a University of Pennsylvania dem- demographer, Projections show that in the United States, the number of larger families and the number of only children are going to keep growing in the next couple of years. Huh. Yeah. So there's going to be uh, a, a growth of both. And we'll see what kind of repercussions yeah. that has uh, culturally for our uh, for our own socioeconomic uh, climate. Yeah, and indeed, we'd love to hear from um, everyone out there who has some input on this. If you're an only child, if you're one of many siblings, if you're a parent of an only child, or if you have an entire uh, brood going on, uh, and indeed, what your kind of outlook on that is. Uh, and certainly, if anyone out there has uh, you know personal experience with the one-child policy, uh, we'd love mm, to hear your yeah. uh, your thoughts on all of this as well. I'd be very interested to hear uh, a personal experience with that, yeah. So, okay, 
we've just said a bunch of things that we want you to, to, to do for us. <laughs> Ways in which you can interact with us, right? But how do you do that? Well, stuff to blow your mind.com is our home base on the internet. It is where you will find all of our articles, videos, and podcasts, as well as links to all of our social media accounts. We're on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram. I think I got all of them, right? I think those are the big ones, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can reach out to us on any of those platforms. In fact, yesterday I spent like a good amount of time going through the back catalog there. Uh, a bunch of topic suggestions that we've received from listeners over the last couple of months added them to our, our master list of, uh, of suggestions for the podcast. There's another way, right? There's another way that they could write to us that would, automatic writing. Yeah, yes. they could do that. Um, and astral projection yeah. is another one. I often forget to check our um, astral projection folder, though. It's, yeah, it's, such it's a, probably it's probably really <laughs> over. <laughs> but uh, we never forget to check our email, though, and that's where you can reach us. Blow the mind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Thank <laughs> you.